Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. What a beautiful birthday I'm having today. 64 years young. What do they have that movie, Straight Out of Compton? I'm straight out of Far Rockaway. The hell yeah. And here I am, inside your radio, your podcast, all that stuff. What a joyride it's been. Can't wait at 8.15, don't miss my interview with... Paul Karafotis, who is a writer of children's books. How do you communicate with kids when I think back on the teachers that I've had over my lifetime? The good ones, the bad ones, the ugly ones. What makes communicating with a kid unique, special? In medicine, we're taught children are not little adults you got to treat them differently it's a whole different specialty but teaching and nurturing and communicating is unique and some people have a gift and some people don't in my lifetime in the world of art nobody nurtured children better than this jim henson and the muppets on this particular show sesame street From the very beginning of Sesame Street, Jim was fascinated with the concept. He latched on immediately to the idea that was being developed by Joan Gans Cooney. She was convinced that what was fun and, and entertaining in television could also be used to teach. She'd seen Jim's commercials and loved them, and jumped at my suggestion that we bring him and his Muppets on board. What they wanted to do was to take and use some of the techniques that had been created for commercials and for television and apply them to this preschool, to the preschool kid. Yeah, but where did this guy start? He started actually having a puppet show for adults. Most puppeteers start with kids, and that's where they stay. But not Jim Henson. Jim Henson started with grown-ups. He actually started at 11 o'clock at night in Washington, D.C., of all places. It was a puppet show for grown-ups. It was on at 11.25 at night. There wasn't a kid watching it in those days. Sometimes it was completely zany sketch comedies. Other times it was sort of sophomoric uh, record pantomimes. And it attracted this huge following in Washington, D.C., of all places, where everybody watched the news. But he also did it differently than other puppeteers. He's not a ventriloquist. You actually see the puppet and you see him moving his mouth. But he knew what he was doing with that puppet was so special that you didn't care that you saw him moving his lips. 
A lot of people worry if they see the performer in the same shot with, uh, with a puppet character. Uh, it's been my experience that the character himself is really what's interesting. That uh, if I'm sitting here working Kermit, which I've done on the Carson show and things like that, that people don't really pay attention to me, you know. I'm not a ventriloquist and I don't uh, try to hide the fact that uh, my lips move, but um, uh, the truth of the matter is that the frog is a great deal more interesting to look at and uh, who notices what the bearded man is doing? So 10 years after he starts on television doing puppets for adults and commercial TV, he then goes to Sesame Street to teach kids. And listen to his thought process of how he wants to talk to a kid. He wants to make a character, Big Bird, who's eight feet two inches tall, is the best person in his mind to be like a kid. We had a number of meetings uh, and seminars about uh, what we would be doing with this television show, and, and one of the thoughts would be to create a character that the child could live through. Hey, Crystal, huh? let's teach everybody the difference between big and little. The big bird, but childlike, nurturing. Jim had always thought of doing a puppet, a big bird puppet like this. We had talked about it before Sesame Street just as an abstract concept. And here was the perfect opportunity. So Jim did a sketch of how the bird would look and how the puppeteer inside would be working with no vision at all. And the way that worked is to put on the chest of the puppeteer inside the bird a little television monitor, just, you know, yay big, so that the puppeteer has his hand in the head of the bird He's watching himself on television, and he is talking into the wireless microphone. And it was Jim's design, top to bottom. Big Bird, in theory, is himself the child, you know, and we wanted to make this great, big, silly, awkward creature that would make the same kind of dumb mistakes that kids make. To Jim Henson, teaching a child is the same as parenting a child. It's not unlike the way a parent, no matter what you do as a parent, anytime you're sort of talking with your kids, you're really teaching them, you know, all the time you're talking, you're conveying your feelings about life, you know, and that's, that's really that kind of thing that we're trying to do. And listen, we thought we would uh, talk to you a little bit about the concept of being next to, you see? Now then, right there you see Charlotte is next to Fanny, right? <laughs> Here's Maurice Sundak, one of the writers for Sesame Street talking about the philosophy of teaching kids and how Jim Henson pulled it off with the Muppets and the puppets. And there was something so to the heart, something so simple you were astonished that it could be so simple and funny. The language could be so clear and disciplined. And he was a very disciplined artist, so what moved and what was said was thought about. If it was funny, it was by no accident. Is this microphone on? Oh, <clears throat> oh uh, uh, hi all, this is uh, Kermit the Frog of Sesame Street News. And uh, today I am standing at the base of the tower where the Princess Rapunzel is being held prisoner by the Wicked Witch. Get me out of here! <laughs> I didn't know she was in Far Rockaway. Get me out of here! Nurturing. Being childlike. Yeah, that's a way to communicate and to nurture and endear yourself to kids. But there is another way to do it. To treat the kid with intensity. 
Olympics are going on right now. Well, the greatest Olympic athlete that I ever saw, and I interviewed Mark Spitz a few weeks ago. Don't miss listening to that interview on the podcast. But the greatest Olympic athlete in my lifetime was a girl, a 14-year-old girl, a gymnast named Nadia Comaneci, because she did something in her sport nobody's ever done, since even. But it was due to her coach, Bella and Martha Caroli from Romania. I want you to listen. The opposite of Jim Henson in communicating and teaching and nurturing a kid is Bella Caroli. And I'm going to let it be in Romanian. I'll just translate it for you right now. He first says to her, she's six years old. Are you afraid of any apparatus? Yet, no, I'm not afraid of any apparatus. Are you afraid, he then asks, of any competitor? Yet, no, I'm not afraid of any competitor. This is him talking to a little girl. Are you kidding me? This is the opposite of Big Bird. But unless you do this, you don't get a perfect score in Montreal 1976 Olympics. Listen to Bella Caroli and the sweetness of that little girl saying Niet. At the time they discovered Nadia Comaneci, the Corollis were still relatively unknown. Marta was a former gymnast, but Bella had been a boxer and hammer thrower with no experience in gymnastics. As coaches, they taught themselves and trusted their gut instinct, and so their system was completely original and entirely unproven. Wow, how did he find these kids? Today, America's best gymnasts travel from the country's corners to train at the Caroli Ranch. But it was a very different story when they first started out in Romania, where, as Bella tells it, they would visit grade schools in coal mining towns, hoping to unearth raw talent. And it's possible that everything they have today is because of a little girl they met on a playground nearly half a century ago. How do you nurture a kid? How do you communicate to a kid? Bella came and he said, who can do handstands, who can do gymnastics? So a bunch of us started to do that. And uh, I think that was the first time I uh, got to meet Bella. Who likes gymnastics? They were looking at her. What is that? Who can do a cartoon? Oh, yeah, we can do it. Okay, honey, you, 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 and you. Tell to mommy to bring you to the gym. You could tell she's extremely ambitious. If you say do it 10 times, maybe she wanted to do 15 times because she always wanted to be on the top. On the top. But they looked for that character in the kid. He's not a gymnast. Bella Caroli was not a gymnast. He was an athlete. His wife Martha was a gymnast. But because he didn't come from gymnastics, he could create and be original with uncharted waters in terms of the workout. You got to listen to Nadia Comaneci as an adult going back in time of what it was like, what his training was like. He made all this stuff up and he took kids who didn't know anything, no preconceived notions about what gymnastics was and says, can you jump from that bar to that bar? Sure, I can jump. The other gymnastic coaches and kids said, no, you can't do that. That's why he was so special. Bella taught us how to ski. He taught us how to swim. He taught us a lot of stuff. 
we love skiing because we uh, we love to fly. But what he didn't tell us was that we had to climb an hour to go up to the mountain, and we went down skiing like about 45 seconds. So that was a clever way for us to have fun, but in the same time to do a lot of conditioning that we didn't even realize. Mm, see? The Carolis didn't have access to the most proven gymnasts, so they focused on developing young ones who were fearless and not limited by any knowledge of what had never been done before. Bella was always creative, and you know, I, I did something that we always do on uneven bars, and Bella said, wouldn't it be great if instead of catching the other bar, you can catch the same bar? And I was like, um, I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Everything is possible. Now let's go to the Olympics. 1976 in Montreal. Listen to what happened. Montreal, 1976. 40 years ago. For decades, the Soviet Union was the dominant power in women's gymnastics. 14-year-old Nadia Komanich led a Romanian team that had never won a medal at the Olympics. I wanted more visibility. I tried to scream to the world, hey, world, wake up. She is the best gymnast in the European continent. Wake up, pay attention. Nobody paid attention. Nobody, absolutely nobody. They're about to pay attention, Bella. The Carolis prepared as if the competition began as soon as the team walked onto the floor. There was no detail too small to consider. Bela was very specific how Nadia's hair was cut with the little bangs. The ponytail had to be very sharp. Marta was pulling my hair. She wanted to be sure that, uh, you know, everything is smooth. But <laughs> I was only thinking like my beam and <laughs> I didn't care too much about my hair. Even the announcers, Chris Schenkel, had no idea what they were about to witness in Nadia Komenich. Nadia Komenichi on the uneven bars. I didn't know how good I was compared to the other gymnasts because there was not too much information about how the other countries were doing. Everybody was preparing in secrecy and then we realized that actually we are pretty good. Chris, this could be the highlight of the compulsory event. Beautiful rhythm, right to a handstand. I was happy with my routine. Oh, look at that amplitude. And everything went great. Ooh. Is really moving well. They thought the scoreboard was broken because it said 1.0 because the scoreboard could not print out 10.0, a perfect score. Another handstand. Look at that. Right to the handstand. Gorgeous. Beautiful. And the crowd And then I heard a lot of noise in the arena and I didn't know why people are making so much noise. And one of my teammates was showing me the scoreboard turning around with 1.00. And I was like, what? It's, it's, nobody knew what it was. I'll tell you what it was. You scored not only one, but 10 perfect, no, seven perfect scores. She changed the world because of her coach and because of her talents. There had never been a perfect 10 in Olympic gymnastics, and evidently nobody expected one. Not every judge gave me a 10, though. There were three 10s and a 99, so somebody gave me a 99. <laughs> I don't know who that was. <laughs> <laughs> She's still mad about it. 
It was the first of seven perfect tens Comaneci would register in Montreal, where she claimed five medals, including all-around gold. She had nerves of steel. Under biggest pressure, she was able to perform a little better than in the training. And that's the type of gymnast what you're looking for. That's Marta Caroli. That's the kind of gymnast you're looking for. That's the kind of student. That's the kind of kid that they're looking for to teach, to communicate, to nurture. It's a different approach than Jim Henson. But you get to the promised land with different approaches. Coming up next, we're going to learn about what it's like to communicate to kids from an expert, the great Paul Karafotis, my guest, here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook Know Your Knee Posts. One of the most complicated areas of the body. ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow! Your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better with the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. I got two words for you. Forget about it. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. How about that Weekend Warrior Show? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of the Los Angeles Lakers. voice of Michael Jackson as a child singing with his brothers. Mm. Too bad behind the scenes was someone who wasn't nurturing him. But maybe you don't get Michael Jackson without that kind of father. I don't know. Joining me now is someone who knows a lot about how to nurture a child, the great Paul Karafotis. Paul, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Happy birthday, Dr. Robert. <laughs> Thank you. you. Know, every time I think of you, you know, I say Dr. Robert, you know, it's one of my favorite Beatles songs. I know. Steve Paulette plays it. He plays it all the time. You know. So, Paul, let I want the listeners yeah. to get to know who you are. So before we get okay. started on the idea of teaching children and the books and the incredible books that you've written and the CDs and the music, the songs you write and you sing, it's incredible what you've done. Who are you? What, where did you grow up? What did your father do for a living? And how did you become this successful actor in Hollywood for 40 years? What was the TV show movie that Cupid shot you in the chest with an arrow and you said, yep, that's what I want to do with my life? Uh, <laughs> what? Right there. One question. I grew up in Somerville, Massachusetts, which is just about a mile outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I have six brothers and sisters. My father was a bartender, wow. and my mother was a music teacher, jazz pianist. Wow. My father was uh, a fantastic guy. He was a lot of fun to be with. Uh, just a great soul. Give the shirt off your back. Last dime he has. He, my father couldn't get any sleep if he had any money left in his pocket. You know, wow. So he was uh, a really... Um, Full of life, wild was a Greek family. Lots of lots of you know drama. Lots of fun. Lots of just uh, love. And um, we had a very 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 tight relationship. My father. Where are you and in the father, in the brothers and sisters? You're the oldest, the youngest. The Where middle. are you? I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. So I was the one that needed the attention. I uh, hmm. was a, quite a little baseball player, uh, but. We start, I started doing plays, and I started to get attention, you know, from the girls. Hmm. And uh, I was not a very big guy. My brother's like 6'3". I was, I'm 5'9". But and when I was in, you know, junior high school, I was littler. So uh, the first time I stepped on stage, first line I said, I got a big laugh. And I went, and everybody, there's 500 kids there, and they all laugh. And I said, oh, this uh, feels pretty good. Hmm. But to go back, I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Hmm. And... You know, and the girls were screaming, and it was all wild, and the music was fantastic. They looked great. And I saw my cousin faint when Paul McCartney, like a close-up of Paul McCartney singing All My Love. And I looked over. I was four years old, and she fainted. And I said, ooh, this looks like a good job. Wow. You know, this could be something I might want to do. And it was like my little secret for a while. But once I got into junior high school, and then I, I got into high school, uh, my, my mother was uh, my music teacher. And uh, I did the high school production of uh, Sugar, hmm. which was Some Like It Hot. I had the Tony Curtis role. And two wow. things occurred. One was somebody from MIT came and saw our show and actually hired me to do his thesis, his graduation thesis. Ah! And at the same time, uh, the guy that was the choreographer of that show came to me and he said, you know, you're good looking. You've got talent. And I think you ought to go to New York. And at that time, I was graduating high school. Uh, my mother was um, very motivated by education. She was a very, very smart woman. And she uh, was always trying to better herself, take extra classes. Uh, you know, she did many, many things and was uh, uh, really just about knowledge and education, as my father was, although hmm. he was not a high school graduate. Hmm. So uh, all my brothers and sisters were going to college, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Hmm. I did this show. Those two things occurred. And it, and one day I was working for the city in the summer after graduation. And somebody showed up, this kid I knew, and he said, hey, Kara Fotis, I'm going to New York for the weekend. Do you want to come? And it just, you know, I put all those things together instinctively. And I said, sure. Asked my boss to get off work. I went to the bank, took $300 out. Hmm. I knew that if I was going to do this, I needed to have a job. I needed to have a place to stay, and I needed to be in school. So we left for New York. I took a ripped phone number and an address of a family. The Greek family used to come and visit us uh, occasionally in the summers. Hmm. They had a company called Confectionary Sugars. They used to send us chocolates at Christmas time and different times of the year. So I went to New York, and I, I went down to HB Studios and signed up for acting. I, I went to a place. I got a job. And the last stop was this family. And I knocked on the door, and Madge Chaklis was the mom. She opened the door, and as soon as she saw me. 
Yeah. I wanted to pay, stay on the floor, become part of their family, take my classes, uh, you know, do the job. And, mm. and I was in New York for about 18 months. Wow. When my, when my, I was 19 now, I was there for about 18 months when um, I couldn't afford, I lost my job, couldn't afford to go to acting class. It was like 10 bucks mm. a class at that time. Think of that, 1978, wow. 79. Wow. And uh, my acting teacher called me and said, why aren't you coming? I told her and she said, come down. I want to talk to you about something. I did a scene in class for her and we walked up Broadway and she said, I don't know if you know, but I'm a casting director and I'm doing uh, casting a movie called Head, Heading for Broadway. And there are four leads in this film. And I think that you could play the kid from South Philly who's a street dancer. Hmm. And I'm going to give you the script. You go home and learn it. On Monday, you're going to go see the director. Wow. And don't tell him I gave you the script. You go in there and you tell the story of Ralph Morelli as though it was actually you. Ooh. And I took her advice. I went in to see the director who sat me in this little chair. His chair was way high and I was very low. I could barely see him through the, you know. But on his desk, he had the Academy Award. People's Choice and a Grammy. He was Joe Brooks, who had done You Light Up My Life and wow. won the Academy Award for writing that song. And I told him the story of Ralph Morelli. <laughs> he jumped up, said, get this guy a script, which uh. I already had it. But, and the next thing you know, I was starring in a, a movie for 20th Century Fox. I was 20 years old. Wow. And uh, my career, though, it's very interesting because it's hard to replicate that, you know, like to start off. Mm -hmm. you know, most people come to Hollywood or go to New York and they do a little play. They get a little job in a commercial. They do a little of this. They do, and 15 years later, they get their shot. Mm. You know, I, I was in New York for 18 months. I didn't tell my parents. Wow. The movie opened in Boston. The movie opened in Boston. I was flying from, from Seattle. I was doing press in Seattle uh, and I was flying home and, and it was May 23rd, 1980. And unfortunately the air controller strike hit and we landed in Chicago and took us to Milwaukee. By the time I got back to Boston, I had missed the premiere. Hmm. Uh, I was, they lost my luggage. So, you know, it's a very <laughs> double-edged sword. They lost and my 40 luggage. years later, you're still doing it. You're an actor in Hollywood hey, for 40 years. Who gets to do that? Well, I just was in Mank, which was had ten Academy and Award nominations, and just before that, I did a couple episodes on Mindhunter. Wow. So yeah, so we're still going at it. We're still punching. My father used to tell me, you know, this perseverance, don't quit. You know, you got mm -hmm. you got to get knocked down, and uh, you got to get back up. As long as you keep getting back up, you got a shot. You keep throwing punches. One of these days, you're going to knock it out of the park. And uh, this is the story I, but. But I'll tell you, okay, since you asked the question, somehow something was missing in my life. You know, I was, I was, I came from a really loving family and I, and, uh, I, I, you know, I was a young man in Hollywood, 20 years old when I arrived here, you know, I'm 36 or 38 or whatever it is. And I'm still single and running around and, you know, I went down a lot of bad holes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know. I had to straighten myself out and get sober. I've got about 19 years coming up, if God willing, you know, and I straightened myself out. And uh, I finally, because, um, you know, it's what I do. It's not who you are. You find these, you know, the big question in life everybody asks, you know, well, why am I here? Right. What am I doing? Well, you know, who am I? You know, mm -hmm. 
you know, the ultimate answer to that is, I don't really know. But uh, I, I, I knew something was missing. And I finally, at 48 years old, five years sober now, I, my son Charlie was born. And that's when it all changed. Like my whole life changed around at that point. You know, I really let, me, let me play why. a soundbite for you, Paul. And I want, okay. you know, I had a professor in surgery tell me the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. Well, the ears don't hear what the mind doesn't know. When you hear Jim Henson talk about teaching, writing children's books, doing the Muppets as parenting, I want you to tell me what you're hearing when he, when he says this. It's not unlike the way a parent, no matter what you do as a parent, anytime you're sort of talking with your kids, you're really teaching them. You know, all the time you're talking, you're conveying your feelings about life. You know, and that's, that's really that kind of thing that we're trying to do. And listen, we thought we would uh, talk to you a little bit about the concept of being next to, you see? Now then, right there, you see, Charlotte is next to Fanny, right? That's Jim Henson talking about the principle and his philosophy of talking to kids. You taking this beautiful childhood you have with your dad and your mom and a big family of brothers and sisters and bringing it to the rest of us where many of us did not have a nurturing household, right? Is that who you're trying to emulate? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, you know, I, you get alert. Kids learn from, you know, they listen to everything. They're sponges. So, you know, it's a very, uh, you have to be a lot aware of what's going on around you because they pick up stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I used to make a joke because, you know, I, I was, I raised my son, uh, became a single dad, very devoted to him. Based, you know, we did so much together. You know, we, I, and I used to read him books. You know, that was the thing when he was a baby. I was with him all the time. So, I take him to the park. We go up on the roof. You know, set him down. I read to him. I feed mm -hmm. him. Uh, I lay, lay him down on my chest and blow bubbles off my tongue. Okay, <laughs> and yeah, it was the first time that he like his eyes would light up and his little tiny hands would try to grab at the bubbles. And I set him down for a nap and I go look out the window at downtown L.A. I was in this little penthouse in, mm -hmm. in Koreatown, and I, I the bubbles, you know, it just struck me. Got it. And I, I and Charlie, my you know, was, uh, Charlie, Charlie bubbles. Jeez, that's, I like that combination and stuff. And I, I just daydream. And I thought, like, what would what would he be like? You know, what would this, a kid, if it could blow a bubble as a transportation vehicle, imagine going on these, like, magical mystery rides, what would he be like? Who would he encounter? Hmm. And it, it just developed into, like, being helpful, loving, and kind. That's, hmm. the, that's the job, like, to teach that, to, to make, you know, your children uh, – be aware of what's going on and participate in life so that they can go out there and give them the tools and they can go out there and be a, uh, a productive member of society. So what happened to me was uh, I, I started thinking as I saw the world around me and how people mistreat each other sometimes and there's a lot of uh, just not connect, they're not getting connected. And I kept thinking about this word empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, like we need to promote empathy with children. And so that's what I saw. So I just put all these little different variable things together and I developed the adventures of Charlie Bubbles. All right. I want to play and another soundbite for you. 
This is from a different approach. This is in Romanian. This is Bella Caroli talking to a six-year-old girl, a Charlie Bubbles girl, but are you afraid of anything? No. Are you? She keeps saying yet, no, in this beautiful child voice with the intensity to kind of nurture in his own way to bring the best out of her. Do you think this is child abuse? I want to hear your, but let's listen to the soundbite. At the time they discovered Nadia Comaneci, the Corollis were still relatively unknown. Marta was a former gymnast, but Bella had been a boxer and hammer thrower with no experience in gymnastics. As coaches, they taught themselves and trusted their gut instinct. And so their system was completely original and entirely unproven. He gets the best out of kids because he challenges them. How do you see that, Paul? Well, everybody has different approaches, you know. You know, he obviously has his own, uh, he's developed his own way of doing it. I mean, everybody does. I mean, if you're in mm-hmm. that game, you know, if you're in that, if you're a parent, it's apparent to me that all of us have to find our own way through it. There's mm-hmm. no real book on it. I mean, you know, we come from where we come from. Our parents were came from where they came from. My grandparents came from Greece. Every you know, every generation wants better, wants the kids to be better, give them more, mm-hmm. you know, try to teach, you know, be te- you know, you got to be teachable. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I mean, uh, some some of us aren't, you know, uh, fortunately, my kids are very teachable. So it's a little. But you use music. It, it, you think music is an international language and well, that's my, a great way to get to kids. I, absolutely. Uh, music is the soul of the world. It's the music. It's the language of the world. Mm-hmm. You don't need to speak. Romanian to hear, uh, you know, um, you know, yesterday and not understand there's so uh, so much emotion in that song. Okay, let's and, hear and you sing world. yesterday. You want to hear me do a little yesterday? I want to hear you sing yesterday right now. All right. Yesterday. amazing all right paul tell me about tell before i let you go that wasn't planned folks i know before your your music's amazing your books are amazing and your this part of your life where you're teaching kids is amazing tell the audience where they can go to get your books and listen to your music. Is there a website? Where do they go? Charliebubblesbook.com mm-hmm. 
You can get the. You can go to Amazon, download it. We've got three books in the series for children, plus a coloring book. Now we have a CD, so you can download the music at iTunes. Mm. It's the Adventures of Charlie Bubbles. We're at YouTube, Adventures of Charlie Bubbles on Instagram. Uh, you know, we just started so that the people know, mm-hmm. uh, because we've gone to many hospitals, cancer hospitals, uh, Boston Children's, Los Angeles Children's Hospital, San Diego, we've wow. been to Dana Farber, every, uh, we get out books to kids at schools. My kids go and read, both my daughter and my son go back to their little grade schools. And at Christmas time, we give out probably about a hundred books to the kindergarten, first and second, third graders. Uh, Every Valentine's Day, we go around in Los Angeles to all the hospitals and give uh, the first book, The Adventures of Charlie Bubbles, to all newborns. Hmm. And uh, this is what we've been doing. So we finally decided to start a nonprofit Hmm. called Charlie Bubbles Cares for Kids. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we can use a little bit of help because mm-hmm. we're you know trying to get as many books and music out to the children across the country, especially kids in the, that are underprivileged in schools and mm-hmm. also kids that are in hospital. Uh, and just uh, we do Christmas for kids in Boston. Uh, I've given out probably 2,000, 2,500 books in the last. And you can tap years. into the nonprofit by going to the website. Uh, you, not at the moment, but you can you can get the nonprofit Charlie Bubbles Cares for Kids. You can uh, go to PayPal at Charlie Bubbles Cares or Got Venmo okay. at Charlie Bubbles. Um, you know what you, you want to do it. with your life, Paul, is you want to make a difference and you want to touch people uh, that are total strangers, and you do that. Your life is a blessing, and we're very lucky to have someone like you to share the world with. I want to thank you for getting up and educating us and singing yesterday for us. You're a special guy. You're very sweet. Listen, the adventures of Charlie Bubbles, gang. Okay. Look us up. CharlieBubblesBooks.com. All right, young man. Have a good Saturday. And I couldn't think of anybody better to have on my birthday than Paul Carafotis to talk about children. well, hold on a second now. You know, you know, you didn't tell anybody that you did my shoulder and my knee. I just got my knee done five weeks ago, and I'm riding bicycles, and I'm in the pool. Uh, God so bless you. You are you are amazing, sir. I well, trusted you with my shoulder. This is the thing about life, you know. You just, when you meet people, you get an essence of who they are, and yep. I trusted you right away. I appreciate that. I'm very that. glad to have met you, and I want to thank you for giving me back my shoulder and my knee. You're very welcome. I can't think, because I did that for you. Now look at all the total strangers you're going to be able to help, and that's what makes the world a better place. I don't want to talk about the negative in life. You don't need me to point it out. I want people to meet Paul Carafotis, the people who actually do beautiful things with their life. Thanks again for being a part of my life. You got it. Thank you. Okay, young man. All right, Warriors, the number's 877-710-ESPN. Coming up next. I got to tell you where the Detroit-style pizza is that changed my life this week. The best Detroit-style pizza in L.A. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN.
miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. With tinted windows. Can you imagine? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. While I'm in Italy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. That's right. Good times. The birthday edition. The Weekend Warrior Show. What a pleasure. Ten and a half years to do this. And we'll keep them coming. The lines are all lit up. Don't forget. Don't remind me. I got to tell you where that pizza is. But let's take some calls. Who you want to go to first, Steve? Let's go to Mike in Thousand Oaks. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper. Yeah, got a... Uh a problem here. I, I uh, had a jiu-jitsu tournament this last weekend. Mm-hmm. and uh, How young are you? What do you do for I, a living? I'm 54 years old. I own a driving school. I teach kids to drive all day. Oh, nice. Good for you. Where are you from? <laughs> Where would you go to school? Uh, from Simi Valley. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, went to Master's College and out in Valencia. How do you get into the driving kids business? Is that what you did right out of college? No, I was a fireman for 10 years, fell down oh. a flight of stairs, screwed up my back. I was a church youth pastor, oh, so I wow. liked working with kids, and uh, it just, you know, just fell into my lap, and, you know, it's it's rewarding. You get to, to be a part of their, their lives, and Is there one know, even adults. I do, I do 80-year-olds. I think the oldest I've done was a 99-year-old man. Is there one? License back. <laughs> if, you, if you were to teach us one thing, if we were to tell a young student driver, what's the one thing you want me to tell them that you've learned after all these years? There's a difference in looking and seeing. Ah, I love that. We always look. We always look, and it'll be right in front of you, but you don't see what's right there. And you know, I think that's the same thing in life. I tell them the same thing in life. you gotta, right. you got to see it. Just not look at it, but see what's there. Isn't that? That's, that's beautiful. I had Stan Conti the longtime trainer for the Dodgers as a guest, and he said the problem with young kids now getting bad elbows from pitching in Little League is because they don't know the difference, and we need to teach them the difference between pitching and throwing. Muhammad Ali could knock you out because he was a boxer, not a street fighter. There's a difference. There's an elegance. There's a difference between seeing and looking. Good for you. God bless you. I love that. All right, how can I help you? What you do to yourself? Um, in the tournament, uh, I was getting taken down, and the the person I was going with just barely touched my foot, and then the next thing I know, my knee is just out. Ooh. Uh, went into uh, the ER mm-hmm. after driving back from Fullerton all the way to Thousand Oaks to Los Robles, mm-hmm. and uh, got to get out of the car, and I couldn't move. Mm. They did the x-ray, and I have what they said. They said the... The bone 
Menerialized appears normal. Mildly depressed interarticular fracture of the left or the lateral tibial plateau is noted. Wow. Large left knee infusion is seen. Soft tissue appears normal. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, that's a plain X-ray or an MRI? Just regular X-ray. I go in on Friday to see what the rest, you know, to the orthopedic surgeon then. So you're going to need to get this done ASAP because if the depression of the fracture, so you're ready for a clapper vision? You know what this show is all about? Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So if you have a coffee table, it's got four legs and you put your coffee on top of the, the coffee table next to the chair you're sitting on. Think of the tabletop of the coffee table as a plateau, kind of like in Arizona. You look at those mesas like a mountain with the top cut off. Think of the coffee table as that flat top. The tibial plateau, which is where the thigh bone meets the top of the tibia in your knee joint, is the top of that coffee table. Now, if you smash the coffee down, you can splinter or crack the top of the coffee table versus having the coffee cup go all the way through and make a hole in the tabletop. Capiche? Yeah. The degree the degrees of injury to the tabletop, whether it's just a scratch, a splinter, partially going through the surface, or actually having a hole in the surface, are the displacement. But it's not only the depression of the cartilage and the bone that is important to us as orthopedic surgeons. You can also separate and split. It's called split depression. This matters. Also, how many pieces the cartilage and the bone are in. This is actually a very important decision to make because if you meet an aggressive orthopedic surgeon... They're going to tell you you have to have plates and screws and want to operate on you right away. If you meet someone who doesn't have the bandwidth skill-wise to fix this, or you're in an HMO and they don't want to spend any money, they're going to tell you just wear a brace or a cast. So you Uh really need the truth. And unfortunately, in our society, that sometimes gets in the way of people getting paid. You know what I mean? They don't either don't yeah. want to spend the money or they want to make the money. And you need yeah. honesty. And for me, how important is that when you're talking about your life, your body? But there are yeah. scoundrels that live amongst us that are going to tell you that a stem cell for $10,000 is going to make it all better. You got to be careful. So you need a good opinion. And I am very proud to work with people at Cedars who know more about fractures than anybody else. So do yourself a favor. You can go see, get the MRI because it makes a difference. And actually, I will tell you, for tibial plateau fractures, as, as, as much as an MRI is the gold standard, you know what's better for a tibial plateau fracture? A CAT scan. What's that? A CAT okay. scan. A CAT scan is a 360-degree view of the bones. It's actually better than an MRI for assessing what you have. So I already don't like the path that you're on because you're wasting time. Because if, God forbid, this does need to be fixed, every day matters because it can start to heal in a bad position. So I want you to do me a favor. On Monday, 
okay? Because nobody's around on Sunday unless it's an emergency. But on Monday, you need to get, and you could do it as an emergency. You know what? To be honest with you, just come to the ER at Cedars and get seen by one of the orthopedic surgeons. We have amazing one. Charles Moon, Carol Lynn, um, Milton Little. These are world-class fracture surgeons, and that is who you need to see. Dr. Vare, Mark Varis, our chairman. These guys know more about fractures than anybody. You need to get an opinion. And you really don't want to wait for an office visit, to be honest with you. Because this happened how many yeah. days ago? This is on last Saturday. All right. Guess so. what? Today's Saturday. My birthday. You know what a birthday yeah. present to me would be? For you Happy to get birthday. your butt. Oh, thank you. To get your butt to Cedars. It's still early in the morning. The crowd isn't there yet. You should go to Cedars and say, my knee is broken. I need to be seen by one of the trauma guys. You need to have that done to know the truth. Is it something that can be treated without surgery, or do you need plates and screws? I need that to happen, and you are wasting time because it's already been a week. It's still plenty of time. It still can be handled if, God forbid, those fragments need to be elevated, but you need to come to Cedars today to the ER. You won't see me because I'll be busy doing my birthday, but you will see one of those names, and you will really make a difference to me knowing that you're being cared for properly because right now, you're in a black hole, and I don't like where this could lead. Okay. All right? And when you go to the All ER, right. who sent you here? You're going to say, Dr. Clapper. Clapper. Dr. Dr. Clapper, Clapper sent me, and all the nurses and the doctors are going to go light up and go, all right, you've been sent by the best person to send you here, and we're going to take care of you now. All right? And next week, I need a phone call to the Weekend Warriors show of what happened to you. All right? You got it. All right, young man. Now, listen, you're a total stranger. I never met you before. I want you to find a total stranger today. You do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. It's what I do all day. All right. God bless you. All right. Steve Paulette, I'm going to do a Kirk Morrison promo right now. The show coming up after this show is the football show called LA Gridiron Weekly. Don't miss it. As a Ram season ticket holder and fan, I want to know what Kirk Morrison thinks about Cam Akers. We don't have a running back. What does he think is going to happen? I'd love to hear what Kirk Morrison has to say, and you can hear that coming up after this show. But let's talk about food. I want to talk about Detroit-style pizza. And I particularly love pepperoni pizza. I don't know. Some of you are vegetarians. God bless you. Their margarita pizza is unbelievable. But the best pepperoni pizza that I've had. Mm, I got so much saliva in my mouth now, I can't even talk. I think I need a snorkel. That's the only way I could dive like I'm underwater here. It's all in my mouth. But the best pepperoni Detroit-style pizza that I had, I had this week thanks to Linda Yui, comes from a place in L.A. called Bootleg Pizza. I want to thank Nancy Aram for teaching me about this place. And we got literally, I don't know, 10, 12 pizzas. There were other flavors there, and they were good. The rest of the folks in my office enjoyed them. But I didn't even look at any of the other boxes because the pepperoni pizza, because it's Detroit style, the way they make the dough, I don't know what they do, but it kisses the corners of the tray that the pizza's made on. So New York pizza, which I love, 
Let's not forget Village Pizza in, on Larchmont. But I'm talking about the crispiness and the chewiness of having a, a deeper dish pizza. But this is different because it burns it. It burns the edges. So it crunches when you bite into that slice. And I tell you, there must be a million slices of pepperoni on this slice. The sauce is tangy. The cheese is chewy. The dough is second to none. Every They score 10 in every point. The dough, the sauce, the cheese, and the pepperoni. Bootleg pizza. That's what you need to have. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. All right, let's talk about next week. Next week, my guest is going to be a doctor. We're going to go back to the medical field. Today, my guest was from the art world, Paul Carafotis, talking about children's books and nurturing children. And we talked about Jim Henson and the Muppets and Bella Caroli, the coach for Nadia Comaneci. So let's go back to medicine. So next week, we're going to talk to my favorite gastroenterologist, He's my favorite because he actually took care of me. He's at Cedars. And I had, for the world, what I thought was, uh uh-oh, my gallbladder. Because I had right upper quadrant tenderness in my belly. Not where your appendix is. Kind of where your chest meets your abdomen. In the right side. That's where the gallbladder is. That's where your liver is. And for the world, I had the general surgeon friends of mine lining up to take my gallbladder out. It was just so painful. But I said, you know what? I'm going to go to my friend who's smart. He's going to tell me whether I need to do the, like, what's the matter with me? This is a few years ago. And you know what he did? He, he examined me. He touched me. He asked me my history, just like you hear me ask the history when I talk to people. And then he did a physical exam. For all the world, it sounded like it was my gallbladder until he touched me. And in examining me, he said, Robbie, they're wrong. This isn't your gallbladder. I'm a gastroenterologist. It ain't your gallbladder. You know what you did? You tore your six-pack muscle because Jewish guys don't have six-packs. You tried to get a six-pack, but you don't have one. So you ripped your rectus abdominis off your rib cage. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. You would think I'd know about muscles. So we're going to talk about the magic of touching. And we'll talk about Dwayne Allman and what he could do with the guitar touching. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. And thanks for joining me on my birthday. I leave you with Volare, which you know I'm singing and I'm flying. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.